as you get older, when you can pick and choose a little bit more aggressively, you do have the opportunity to say like, I choose you and I choose to invest my time, energy and emotional support in you. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Dalebout. This week's episode, I just listened back to and I felt better after. It was such a delight to talk to the co-founders of Of A Kind. They are best friends and podcast hosts. They write this newsletter. You'll hear all about Of A Kind, how it came to be, how they came together in this week's episode. They're so talented and kind, and I just really enjoyed being around them. I wish that I could be their friends long-term, and maybe that's something that can happen, I hope. If they're listening to this, uh, do you guys want to hang out? Anyway, we talk about adult friendship. We talk about management and managing people and being managed. They have this company that they seem to run really well. We talk about the internet and how the best internet was in like 2012. They've had Joanna Goddard, founder of the blog website, A Cup of Joe, that I loved in college, still love now. And it's been really cool to see that website grow and Whenever I think of the best internet being in 2012, I think of her and I think of that blog and I get kind of nostalgic for when I started my blog and what I think podcasting is now is kind of what blogging was back then. And anyway, it's an interesting conversation. We also talk about the importance of thank you notes. We talk about depression. We talk about business and being a co-founder and a friend with someone. They wrote this beautiful book called Work Wife. That's so good. And we talk about boldness, being a woman, relationships. It's it's just a great one. I didn't want to leave them and in the conversation and leave their office. I really liked it there. Maybe I'll get to go back. The two of them offer so many great recommendations in this episode, including the best mascara that I started using and TV shows and books and I just really enjoyed talking to them. And they also give this really great advice about maternity leave and motherhood and how they handled Erica's maternity leave and keeping her in the loop. And it's just a really robust episode with a lot of great advice and insights and also really fun with recommendations. Whenever I have a guest on the podcast and I email their episode to them after, I ask them the question, who do you think I should interview next? And that's how I curate a lot of these guests. And this episode came as a recommendation from Kayleen Schaefer, who wrote the book, Text Me When You Get Home, which is about female friendship. And I love Kayleen so much. She's become a friend and a mentor of mine. I did do that successfully. So maybe there's hope for being friends with Erica and Claire. Anyway, Kayleen so graciously connected me with Erica and Claire. And here we are with this week's episode. So enjoy it. Leave a review on iTunes. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. I just said that automatically. I was, that's not even what I was going to say. It just came out of me. But but sure, do that. That'd be great. I will be back at the end of the episode to tell you my likes and learns of the week, which I'm excited to do. 
if you want to start a podcast, I would like to help you. I have this workshop called Let a Podcast Out that I've been doing for a while now. And I've had such a great time this morning, right before I'm recording this interview, listening to all the contest entries from the last semester. Every semester after I launch the course, it's eight weeks, but you have lifetime access to it. And there's over a dozen interviews with other podcasters, including my friends who host Almost 30 and Jess Lively and Jessica Murnan and Christy Harrison, who hosts Food Psych. And some of my favorite podcasters completely open up the hood of their podcasting vehicle and tell you what they did. And I, of course, go through how to name a podcast, how to come up with a concept, interviewing, everything I've learned. I'm definitely not an expert, but this is for people who want a DIY podcast. So starting a podcast alongside a full-time job or something else that you do, this is everything I know about how to do that. And then, of course, how to market and get people to listen to it and maybe even monetize it. So anyway, that is out now if you want to sign up for it. I think October is a really good time to start a new project and I would just love to answer your questions about it. You can just take the first two modules of that completely for free and just check it out and see if it's for you. And anyway, the link to that's in the show notes. But my point in bringing that up is to tell you that this morning I was listening to all of the contest entries because every time I go through a season of this workshop. I just hate the word online course, but it's a workshop. Digital workshop? I don't know. It's a, it's an online course. But anyway, whenever I go through it, everyone gets to, if they want to, submit an episode of their podcast. And then I choose one to air on this podcast channel you're listening to right now. And I've been having so much anxiety trying to choose the episode to put on here because they're all really great and more on that later, but it's just been really lovely to listen to people starting podcasts and people putting out something personal and something creative into the world. So enjoy this episode with Erica and Claire who put out something creative and so useful with of a kind and they're just really lovely people and great friends. So enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you at the end. Beyond Yoga is a sponsor of this podcast this week, and I really genuinely am beyond excited. It's a female-founded, inclusive athleisure brand that I've been wearing since I was in college, and my aunt gifted me a pair. They've lasted this entire time. They are the softest pants I've ever worn on my body. I, I genuinely mean that. I like this company so much. They are an inclusive athleisure brand that makes sizes from extra extra small to extra extra large they never retouch the shape of a woman's body which i really appreciate and they go above and beyond to create styles that fit and flatter everyone and again the fabrics are the softest ever they're dedicated to being transparent and ethical and responsible and their practices that support people that they work with and sustainability is at the forefront of every stage in creating their garments and they aim to produce clothing locally that's crafted with love as they say in LA and I just really really like this brand. My friend Allie did an event with Beyond Yoga a couple months ago. It was a trogging event that's a mix of a picking up trash and jogging. I didn't jog, of course. I walked somewhat fast and picked up a lot of trash, but I got an outfit from Beyond Yoga. They outfitted us in these wonderful 
you know, little get-ups, I guess. And it was really great because I've been wearing it nonstop. And the laundry situation is like slightly gross because I don't want to wear anything other than these outfits. I've worked with other athleisure companies before, and this is like my dream one to work with. And I would just love it if you guys would check them out. And if you've been wanting to get a new outfit for yourself for, I would say to do athletic things in, but to be honest with you, I haven't been doing athletic things in months, but I've still been wearing these clothes. So, you know, they're really good for anything, anything that you can be comfortable in. That's pretty much everything, except maybe a wedding. But who knows? You know, if you really wanted to get down on the dance floor, it'd probably be best that you're wearing Beyond Yoga. So just use the code Let It Out for 20% off your order. That's Let It Out for 20% off, one time per customer. And I just thank you, Beyond Yoga. I'm genuinely beyond excited. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm such fans of Of A Kind and each of you. And so it's just like such a thrill to meet you guys. We're so thrilled to be doing this too. And it's so, it was really cool to walk in and like I was a little bit late and you guys brought me water and you were so (laughs) sweet. And so I was just like, would have been such a bummer. That's a pretty normal reaction. No, it is. (laughs) But like, honestly, everyone who does the podcast is pretty nice, but it would have been such a bummer if like I loved you guys so much on your podcast and and, (laughs) And then we your work. Yeah. Just like total assholes. Yeah. Like what you said you were going to be here at 10 on the dot. Yeah, it would have really <laughs> let me down and it would have really been a bummer. It would have made me like of a kind less and I like it more. <laughs> Good. So Good. here we are. Okay, so where did each of you grow up? What were you like as kids? And then walk us through when you guys met. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. And one of the things that we have in common is that we grew up in sort of like small cities. Towns, yeah. Like, yeah. So I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which is like the middle of the Midwest. It's sort of equidistant between St. Louis and Chicago. And growing up, what was I like? I was like into lots of activities. I was definitely very much part of this generation that we, I think, were the first sort of members of where our parents sort of over programmed and scheduled Uh us. So it was like piano lessons and soccer and like all of that stuff. And I like loved having things going and then I was like a tomboy throughout grade school and stuff. Um, Do you have siblings? I have two younger I feel brothers. Like that always really yeah. informs a person. I'm very much like the oldest child and the only girl. Mm-hmm. And in high school, was deep into extracurriculars. Like played tennis, was on stu- was on student council, did show choir, like just lots of things. And I think another thing Claire and I have in common is that we both were friends with like lots of different kinds of people. We didn't necessarily have just like a friend group in high school. And I think the other thing that sort of like comes into play about how I grew up that informs our relationship is I I mentioned I played tennis, but I really didn't love singles. I loved doubles, which is like a real work-wife partnership if there ever was one. Yeah. Yeah. So I am from Wilmington, Delaware. I grew up kind of just always wanting to be older. I just always wanted a lot of responsibility. Like I was so amped to be old enough to be a babysitter. I just wanted to like, I just, I wanted to be in my thirties my entire life. I think (laughs) I had all of my, my dad grew up in New York city. So we spent a lot of time coming here and that really informed who I became because I just loved, I loved coming to New York. My mom is a really big shopper and fashion enthusiast. So we would always go shopping together and that nurtured a serious love for fashion. And so I just wanted to move to New York as quickly as possible and begged my parents to let me go to high school in New York and live with my grandparents, which 
I like they definitely said no, but I feel like they left like a little bit of room for like it could happen, which I don't know if that was just my imagination. But <laughs> I did the summer I was 16 live in New York and intern at DKNY because I was obsessed with DKNY and I had on a school field trip. I guess like separated from the group with a couple of my friends and gone to the DKNY flagship on Madison Avenue. And I saw Donna Karen getting a tour of the store from like her team, but basically showing her what they'd been doing. How serendipitous. I know. And my screen name at the time was DKNY Claire. So I was like a serious fangirl. Yeah. (laughs) And so I just walked up to her because my friends were like, you have to go say hi. And also I'm like at that age, I was that kind of person where I would just like walk up and talk to anybody. And so I walked up to her. I said, hi, I said, I want to be you when I grow up. I want to be a fashion designer. I showed her the tag of my clothes to prove that I was wearing DKNY at the time. And I wish you could have shown her your screen name. (laughs) I know. Well, the embarrassing thing was at the end of my internship when I had to give my contact information to be like, let's keep in touch. And the people who I worked for were like, wait, your email address is dcanyclare at aol.com. That's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, so I she was like, you should come intern. So I emailed, I, and then I spent that summer interning both in corporate and in retail at DKNY. And that was also obviously such a formative experience for me. And I think made me realize I didn't necessarily want to work in fashion or in the, the fashion industry with a capital F, but I did really love New York and I, I loved working. Yeah. So for, for both of you then... You, did you both go to school in Chicago? Yeah, so we met, met as undergrads at the University of Chicago. It was my sophomore year in Claire's freshman year, and we were introduced by someone we refer to as a mutual frenemy, um, which is like maybe oversimplifying, but you know, we'll, we'll, it is what it we'll is. Yeah, exactly. And so Claire was dating. Look what that person created. I, I know. <laughs> well, now he's a, he was just a member of the Mueller team, so I feel like somehow our relationship is not the most impactful thing he's done. Like he's done more important work since then. But he then, does a lot of good work. It. Yeah, basically. yeah, clearly. <laughs> Have you kept in touch with this person? Um, a little bit. Erica Not as much. Yeah, than me. yeah, she yeah. She keeps tabs on him for the both of yes, us. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. So Claire was dating a basketball player her freshman year of high school, and I had date or of, of college, and I had dated a basketball player my freshman year. And so this friend of ours was, was like, oh, you two should meet <laughs> clearly so much in common. And I think it was like one of those things where he was like, it would have been too earnest and too nice for him to just be like, hey, I met, I know this other person who I think you'd be really good friends with. Yeah. That would have just been too kind hearted. <laughs> so he had to set it up like this. And we did bond sort of instantly. And I think that even what Claire was saying about DKNY and just like the passion that she had in those years of like wanting to be in New York and wanting to work in fashion. And like, those were things that she didn't have in common with her friends growing up. And I think as we made our way through college, I was really excited about magazines and wanting to work in magazines. And these were things that like sort of fascinations that we both sort of nurtured independently of our friend groups. And I think that kind of like ambition and pursuit is something that we bonded over both in college and after college when we both each moved to New York. Wow. I'm, I'm just like listening to you guys and kind of having an aha moment about my best friend and I. We're both from Michigan and met in college, yeah. but we're kind of the same people as you guys, friends yeah. with everybody, but kind of different and like liked magazines and wanted to live in New York and had these weird, she works in fashion and I do this now, yeah. but just didn't really loved our friends, but had yeah. this separate thing. And I think we did bond over that even yeah. on, yeah. it wasn't conscious really. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. Something else that I think just is not something that I would ever like lead with as part as forming part of my identity. But I think we both 
it did form both of our identities. We're both Jewish and we both grew up like the only Jewish kid in Mm -hmm. our friend groups. And I think that that had necessarily nurtured some sense of independence or being comfortable being a little bit different in some way. Because I just, I mean, you know, now I live in New York. I, there's a million of me around, but at the time it was like, okay, I'm a little like different or separate. No, I do think that that is like sort of core, um, to how we grew up in certain ways. I mean, where, you know, where I grew up in Illinois, they're just like, weren't Jewish kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and rather than that be something that I was like, embarrassed by or like, or not even embarrassed, but just being like, oh, that's like a point of like, that's like a weird thing that I don't want to like expose people to. And I was, I was only really culturally Jewish. Same, Same. with Claire. I would have Hanukkah parties and like invite kids in. over yeah. to like play dreidel. Cause I was like, people need to be like exposed to the broader <laughs> yes. fucking world. Yes. Like not everybody is like Christian going to Jesus camp yeah. during the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't like that. I was like, really wished I could celebrate Christmas and go to Christmas. Well, I camp. did get to yeah, celebrate you Christmas. Did. Yeah, so. you had both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, did you both really have the? Clearly, you wanted to be in a city just by going to Chicago. Like, I almost went to school in Chicago as well because I think for being from the Midwest and you're from the East Coast, it's yeah. kind of like a low hanging fruit of a like a, most people move there. Yeah. And Chicago's great, but did you guys both, it's a city, did you guys both have aspirations? Obviously, you did, Claire, to be in New York and to be in a city. Was that a big part of choosing to go to school there? I think for sure, aspirations to be in a city. For me, I definitely didn't know it was New York. And I think, like, kind of what you were saying, like, Chicago was, like, the obvious thing coming from the Midwest, and that was, like, the thing that I was most comfortable with. It wasn't really until I figured out that that I wanted to go into magazines that New York became the sort of duh place and... I had an internship at Seventeen Magazine uh, my senior year of college that sort of happened in like this roundabout way. So a couple of college friends and I did this thing between my junior and senior year of high school called road or college. Why do I keep saying high school? <laughs> this junior and senior year of college called Road Trip Nation, where we drove across the country cool. from LA to New York, interviewing interesting people That's so along cool. the way about their careers and their paths. Yeah, it's super. It like, I want to do that now. <laughs> I mean, it was really it was amazing really special, and fascinating yeah. and like definitely weaves into the kinds of stories we tell on of a kind, definitely weaves into the kinds of conversations we had in work life um, of just like this sort of like, how did you get here? Or like what, you know, what was your path? And one of the people we interviewed was Atuza Rubenstein, the editor-in-chief of Seventeen. And I did this internship as off sort of the back of that with her. And the last day of the internship, she was like, you're not going to do something silly like go to journalism school, are you? And I was like, oh, I was totally going to like <laughs> go to journalism school. And I think she was just basically trying to get me out of my comfort zone of being like naturally adverse to risk taking. And she was like, look, you just got to move to New York. You're not going to get a, like, you're going to get passed over for jobs for months and they're going to go to somebody's like niece and that's like how it works. But then you will get a job and you will rise and like it will all happen, but you have to just sort of make the leap and do this. And after that conversation, I like went home and told my parents and like, I have to move to New York. And like, they didn't know differently or better. And, you know, and I do think one of the things that helped market it to them, I was like, even Oprah's magazine is made in New York. Um, and they're like, oh, well, like Oprah, a Chicago woman. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guess that's where you go. So you did. So you moved here yeah. right out of college yeah. then? Yeah. And did you both move here on the same Yeah. Time? And Erica, yeah, Erica is a year older than me. So she had moved the year before I had, but I also moved to New York after school and I got my master's in arts management. So in college, I had been really involved in leading an arts organization that basically facilitated a big arts festival on campus every year. And that was the thing that really like filled my cup. And so 
I was like, how can I just do more of this? And got my master's in arts management with the thinking that I wanted to make a career out of helping creatives sort of like realize their vision and and be be real businesses and be financially solvent and things like that. And at the time, that field was really changing because it was mostly a non-for-profit field and the recession was imminent. And so what I got really excited about was how that sort of support structures for artists and arts organizations were moving online and um, how that was really changing the game for both art consumers and artists. And ultimately, it was that sort of deep dive that I did and, and the thesis that I wrote for my master's that got me really excited about a company called 20 by 200 that was selling prints from emerging artists online. And then that was what got us to the idea for Avakind mm. because we saw how 20 by 200 was really giving an opportunity to emerging artists to spread their work in a meaningful way, but also allowing, you know, people like us who didn't have a ton of money, didn't have a ton of education around what it would mean to become an art collector to buy art because they were selling these art prints for $20. Yeah. Okay, I have so many questions. So when you guys moved to New York, did you guys live together once you moved, Claire? <laughs> we've never we, lived we've together. We've never lived together. Um, but we did have sort of recurring weekly dinner date with another friend of ours, Justin. And we would go really, like, we would just go really deep about what was happening in our work lives. And we all knew, the, the three of us really knew the other characters in each other's offices in a way that none of my other friends did. And so it was like, they all knew the name of the managing editor at, at the magazine that I uh, did get a job at, Details. And this was like a, you Is that know, how you met Kayleen? That is how I met Kayleen. Yeah, I worked with her for years there. And, I love Details. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful magazine. Um, and it was just like a, a some, so many of my core friendships in New York cool. are from that experience. Yeah, and so I think we just like, we really knew the ins and outs of each other's work we lives. Would email all day too and Gchat all with day. With like links yeah. and like this mm-hmm. and like go back and forth about Jezebel articles. And, and like, Hilton and like, and like Tumblr accounts. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. That was like the height of the glory days. Oh my blogging. gosh, that was yeah. the best, the best yeah. internet. Yeah. <laughs> the best internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that, you know, we bonded over our sort of like work lives and work mm-hmm. experiences and the things that were satisfying and the things that were not satisfying during those times. So you're seeing each other somewhat weekly. Yeah. You guys are, you know, early 20s in New York making it. What is that timeline? I mean, mate, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Erica more so, no. I think, than anybody else in that friend group. But yeah. So you guys just kind of start hanging out, start talking about maybe making something together. Not really. I mean, we the thing that the, the way we both remember it, and I, so I must assume is accurate, is that <laughs> I don't think that either of us ever identified as wanting to be an entrepreneur. And maybe that was just for like fear of of owning up to it. Um, well, and there weren't that many like models no, that we were seeing in the world. Are. It just like entrepreneurship over the last 10 years mm-hmm. has just become feted in such mm-hmm. a different way than yeah. it was, especially uh, as it relates to women. And watching that sort of change has been really fascinating yeah. for us, I think, because when I look back to like the early aughts, yeah. that wasn't, we weren't like talking about like, oh, this woman started this business or this woman did this thing. And it was sort of like, no, we didn't personally know anyone who no. had started a business. We had like one sort of tangential relationship to someone who we'd gone to college with who'd, yeah. who'd had a business and sold it. And so what we would talk about is other businesses that really inspired us. And there was this restaurant in the Lower East Side at the time called Sorella that was started by two women who were not that much older than us. And, you know, we would talk about how cool that was because it felt like not that distant from mm-hmm. us. Like we had a sense they were probably not that different from us. Um, but we never said like, 
we want to start our own business. I think we probably said something like, we want to be able to realize our own vision one day. And both had naturally gravitated towards positions of leadership. Like even in college, we had both sort of chaired, you know, organizations and stuff like that. So I think we both knew that we wanted to be in charge. And I think probably for better or worse, a lot of entrepreneurs, that's part of it. It's just like, you just want to be in charge. <laughs> so the idea for Of A Kind came because I was applying to a job at this aforementioned company, 20 by 200. And was Erica was editing my cover letter because again, that was the sort of relationship we had. We were so up in each other's shit for like the nitty gritty. And we were going back and forth over the cover letter, which again, every time I tell this story, I can't believe I expected so much of her to read multiple <laughs> drafts of a cover letter. Like but that's just like, that was just sort of where the relationship <laughs> totally. was. Like we, yeah, there, it was granular. I'm glad, I'm <laughs> glad that that seems normal to you. Cause the only other person who would do that for me is, is my mom. mom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but so in going back and forth over this cover letter and about like what got me so excited about 20 by 200 and why like I loved it so much. And again, in retrospect, I'm like, this cover letter was definitely way too long if I was going that deep on it. But it hit me that there was this opportunity for a model like 20 by 200 to exist in the fashion world, that there were a lot of the same structural issues at play. And so I sent Erica a an email that said, read this instead of my cover letter. And basically presenting that idea. And she wrote back immediately and said, yes, but something like that has to have storytelling because, you know, if you are just being introduced to an, a designer for the first time, you don't have why a reason care? to care about them. You don't what? have a sense that they're like, why anything. this necklace? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. And I do think what Claire was saying about, you know, when she went to grad school and like the change that was underway in the art world, our, our business was really born out of the recession and seeing the change that, that that was created by the recession in the industries that we were working in. And when I moved to New York, I aspired to be the editor-in-chief of a magazine. And, you know, by 2009, I was like, well, I don't know if that's like really the dream anymore. The role was changing. Media was changing. There was just, there's a lot of shifting happening. Um, and the advertising, the pure like advertising model just wasn't working and so it became really exciting for us as we started fleshing out the idea for what became of a kind to say like, okay, why don't we sell these things that we feel really passionately about and then write stories about those things and let that be, you know, like let those two things fuel each other as opposed to relying on marketing dollars from big brands. So perfect. <laughs> Did you guys know at the time how it would grow and how your lives would be so intertwined and you would be work wives at that point? I mean, I think we had a sense yeah. in going into this together that our lives would become intertwined. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we shared Google, like we shared each other on Google calendars yeah. and it became very uh, obvious, I think, that the level of transparency involved. I don't think we had a sense of how the business would evolve. And I don't think we had a sense of how our identities and our friendship and relationship would become part yeah. of it. I think it was impossible to know. And I think we're still like learning the ways in which our friendship informs the business partnership and vice versa. And writing work wife it was meant to be an exploration and a celebration of female partnerships, but it was such a um, productive way of understanding it ourselves yeah. um, in, in a way that, yeah, we never could have anticipated and and still probably don't fully understand. So did you get that job and did, did you no, apply? No, I don't did, even think I ever start? got an apply. Or I didn't, did I not send Maybe it? Did. It was definitely not the first time I'd applied for a job there. So Maybe I don't, I don't even know if I did send it, but 
But we the founder of said yeah. business is very supportive yeah. of what oh, we've she's done. She's a customer. She's, yeah. yeah, she's, oh, that's she's a real enthusiast. Now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, we just hit the ground running in a lot of ways on that business. We were so excited about it that we met for coffee the very next day. After sending like 10, 15 emails back and forth that night, we met for coffee the very next day, halfway between our two offices to just talk about what it would look like. And then we set up, basically, I think two days a week, we met. Was it always in the conference room at my office? I and then can't some remember. like weekend days yeah. where where we were doing like sort of deeper dives. So it'd yeah. be like two hours after work, a couple days a week yeah. in the con because like the conference room at Claire's office was open to it was a theater like company, <laughs> yeah. and so they were very open to the idea of like everybody has their like side creative projects. Oh, great. Um, so people would book it to do like workshops and, and workshops yeah. and stuff, yeah. and we booked it to like work Start on this e-commerce yeah. hustle <laughs> that I would ultimately leave the company to yeah. pursue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's so much of that going on at companies as we speak, like people working on other things. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So I want to pick up on something that you said about writing the cover letter Mm -hmm. and how you were like, that is something that was a big ask for a friend. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I've been so fascinated by female friendship. And I think when we're, there are periods in life where friendships they grow and evolve and change. Mm-hmm. And especially I think in your twenties and when you're going through something hard, sometimes your friendships will get deeper. Sometimes the other person is going through something hard and you need to be the one to listen. Sort of step up or be there. Yeah. Right. But there's also like the expectations and friendships, you know, Kayleen talks about this. You guys have talked about this before. It's not a romantic relationship. Yeah. It's not, there's not really any stakes there. So to keep, obviously you guys are work wives, so there are stakes there, but it, before but that. that's also like a self-defined yeah. term. Like, right. you know, that's just mm-hmm. something we call ourselves because there wasn't really a term and calling each other friends, it doesn't feel like it really does our relationship right. justice right. and calling each other business partners doesn't either. Right. So going, just talking about female friendship generally, like what, how do you manage expectations? Like with other friends or just you know, advice for friendship in general, because I read an article recently, I think it was on Man Repeller about Mm -hmm. like the difference and like, there might be friends that you're just like, you send memes back and forth to Mm -hmm. each other and that's your friendship Mm -hmm. or you, you know, get a drink once a month. And then there's other friends that you can like reach out to when you like need help moving. And Mm -hmm. so how do you, Mm -hmm. how do you guys navigate that? Mm. That's a great question. I mean, I do really have different types of friends and and different groups of friends. And I think it's always a little bit of a dance and and feeling the other person out and also setting expectations yourself, right? And saying like, you know, I think especially in when you're nurturing a friendship, if that's somebody you want to see weekly, it's reaching out and trying to make plans weekly and seeing how, you know, the other person reacts. I think it's always a little bit of of a dance in that way. And I do think that in thinking about the friendships, especially the friendships that I formed as adults, there are certain friendships that I've sort of like fallen into where it's like, oh, is this like, did I choose this exactly? Or is this like proximity or, you know, yeah. what? Which is like, there's no harm in that. And, you know, that, those can be like nice friendships. But then there are other friendships that you're like, no, I like want and need this. And this provides yeah. a, like emotional support or a different sort of level of engagement um, that I'm looking for in my life. And I think trying to figure out who those people are, who where you're seeing, when you see them, it enriches you mm-hmm. in some way, can be a challenge as, as you get older. And I do think most of the relationships we form when you're younger 
are at least partially rooted in proximity. It's someone you went to like grade Mm -hmm. school with. It's your neighbor down the street. It's like, you know, someone you danced with in high school or whatever. But as you get older, when you can pick and choose a little bit more aggressively, you do have the opportunity to say like, I choose you Mm -hmm. and I choose to invest my time, energy, and emotional support in you. I also just think something I've gotten comfortable with as I've gotten older and has made friends in adulthood is just saying that and just being like, I really like value you as a friend. And I just like feel so lucky for you and following up after hangout and being like that, like I needed that. Thank you. And just making it clear that, yeah, you are choosing that person. Yeah. I think it's interesting, especially in New York, there's so many options for friendships and there's I've felt recently like I had this breakup and I was really attached to certain friends. Like I just wanted more emotional support than I was wanting before or needing before. But then I was also just like not really wanting to be alone. So I was kind of like saying yes to everyone and then realizing that I was like, oh, I, I would rather spend my time alone or with like just these few people and go really deep with than just being spread so thin. And I think it's just, yeah, it's like, Learn figuring that out for yourself and then communicating that with other people. Mm-hmm. So with you guys working together, that's a very particular situation for your friendship. And you guys talk about that so beautifully and ended up, you know, exploring that at length in your book. But talk to me about where you guys are with it now. Having how many years have you been? Nine. Nine. Yeah. So yeah. nearly a decade. We came up with the idea in January 2010. So, so we're like appro- yeah. we're fast we're approaching a 10 years yeah. of yeah, of working together wow. in this way, which yeah. is crazy. So have you had ups and downs with it? Oh, yeah, how have you yeah. how yeah. do you navigate it? Is it and also is it nice to Claire, are you do you have siblings? I do have an older brother. Okay, yeah. so you have an yeah. older brother. So do you guys like having you know, there's less loneliness when you have in in the business when you have each other that are really peers to bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of. Could yeah. you see each other? Could you see yourself doing it alone? No, I just was walking to the subway the other day thinking about a project that I am working on by myself right now because it's for my parents' anniversary and I feel like I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> and I was like, it's because I don't have Erica. It's because I don't have like someone to keep you me accountable. Me. <laughs> I, I mean, I probably will by accident. I used to CC her on like mortgage stuff when I was by I was like, I accidentally CC her on all sorts of stuff. But no, I was like, oh, like not only do I need like the accountability, but it's so helpful to have somebody to sit down and be like, okay, here's the way to attack this. I just, I've become so accustomed to that, that yeah, I'm finding myself falling short on something that should be like a very easy project. And I was like, yeah, I really just need Erica. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think in talking about like the highs and lows, it's been really interesting. I think some of the parts of the, some of the times over the last like nine, almost 10 years when our relationship has suffered the most is sometimes when the business is doing the best. And when we're both stretched really thin and have a lot on our plates and a lot going on and both are feeling like you know, sort of satisfied in the business. And I think it's easy to forget that like, but we still have to invest in the relationship. Like we still have to like make time to be just like friends and and people together. And when the business is firing on all cylinders, you're like, oh, like who needs that? Mm. Um, Because it's all working, which isn't true. And I think that, you know, some of the times like four years ago when the business was struggling or we're trying to figure out what the next steps were, those are some of the times when it's been easiest to just be really vulnerable with each other and transparent and to like lean into the friendship and and sort of where we are each coming from emotionally. How do you guys, obviously you travel a lot together and that's kind of bonding time, but do you have set times you hang out outside of work or is it more fluid? We don't have set times and I think it's like changed over the years. So like right now 
I have to go home. I have a kid now, so I have to go home. It's sort of consistently at the same time every day. And so Erica, a lot of times has just been like, yeah, sure. I'll join you like for the commute home. Cause we live not that far from each other. And that's been like a nice thing at the end of every day where we have a chance to just like catch up on whatever. And other times it's been that, you know, we're going out all the time and we're like going to a lot of networking events or being more social or whatever. And, and, you know, we will also take time to just have sort of like friend dates and stuff like that. But I think it's just naturally evolved over the years and sort of like where we are in, in our lives. I loved hearing you guys talk about like a recent road trip you went on and we are all, is it New Jersey that you're driving yes, through? Yeah, yeah. And then you went to like a Dunkin' Donuts yes. and it was like. <laughs> no, that's another, that's like a perfect example. Like sometimes we have to go to New Jersey every week and that is a lot of time in the car that we mm-hmm. have together. So that's like a perfect Have you example. been to um, Van Gogh's ear yet? Oh my no. gosh. Thank you for asking. We should no. actually go there for lunch tomorrow. Oh my God. Because we're going totally to New Jersey should. tomorrow. Please let me know we should, how actually, it is. We should, really, we should go to Van Gogh's ear for lunch tomorrow. That would be doing It's, it's a coffee shop that only opens at 11 and yeah. they've been like wanting to drive it's at every time. It's called Van Gogh's ear. And it's I mean, definitely going to be disappointing. Oh, but for sure. <laughs> we don't for know sure. that. This is so wonderful and optimistic. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, we should do that tomorrow. Great. Yeah, yeah please yeah. report back. Yeah. So do you have a favorite friendship moment of you two that you look at as like <gasps> from college, from the business, from anywhere? It'd be interesting if each of you have a different one, maybe, where you were just like, I love this person. I'm sure you have many, but yeah. just one that sticks out in your mind. I mean, I think like a sort of like iconic friendship moment that like an earlier one that I think of is um, in college, I was in love with this boy who like had mixed feelings um, to like, it's probably the easiest way of putting it. And (laughs) I had, there was like a very dramatic night um, where like I was at, at a bar with a group of friends where he was and like there was this exchange that just felt like tumultuous and like whatever. And I was like left just like wrecked, just like totally wrecked and called Claire and asked if I could come over. And I'm just like not a crier. I'm not like, I just like don't break down that much and asked if I could come over and like came to her apartment and her roommate and her roommate's boyfriend were there. Um, <laughs> I don't even remember that part. I yeah. just remember laying in my bed that had like a princess canopy. Yeah, it had a canopy <laughs> and you had like the furry rugs. You had furry so rugs that, and that bed rugs. I had a absurd. princess canopy yeah. also in college. <laughs> I mean, I feel like pale it's like, green. Right, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and just like crying yeah. in your bed. And I just, I don't think that there are very many people who I, who I was going to do that with. Like, I think you might've been the only one at that point who I was going to like. Well, I'd never really, yeah, I'd never really seen you quite like that either. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, Erica's a real person. Cause she, not like a real person. <laughs> no, I take that back. Not a real person, but she was always like a big sister role to me in that way. And like seeing, and was always just, I'd never seen her quite that vulnerable. And it was like, oh, Okay. Um, And really meaningful to me that she would come to me in that moment, obviously. The thing that, this is like not a favorite friendship moment, but I don't know why this really sticks in my head. So I, Eric and I were walking in Soho and we saw Mindy Kaling. Mm. And I mentioned to you that like, when I was telling the Donna Karen story, that like at that stage of my life, I was someone who would approach anybody. Mm -hmm. And at some point I very much lost that and had like at this point when we saw Mindy Kaling and still to this day kind of mourn the fact that I'm not that bold anymore. So something in me was like, you need to find that like 16 year old girl and go approach Mindy Kaling. I don't know why, but Erica was very encouraging of it, even though like she was definitely way less comfortable with it than it, with it than I was. And I was not (laughs) that comfortable with it. And, but for whatever reason she was like, yeah, like let's show, let's go do it. 
and I had interviewed Mindy Kaling yes, for a story that's right. and at we Lucky have, that like involved driving her around in a car going that's to like right. 10 shops So in she LA. would probably remember. Yeah, like once we got there, there yeah. I mean like there may be a glint of recognition, but I'm sure she's done enough interviews at this point that And yeah. we had one very tenuous mutual connection with her too. And so it was like it felt like Oh, we kind of have a reason to talk yeah. to her ish. I feel like that's pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. Did and so she so we ended up chatting with her and walking with her for a while. And she's so lo- like she's as lovely as she seems. Yeah. And nothing came out of it as for of a kind. We like ended up getting our friend's jewelry line on to the, her on, on the, like a, the tonight, tonight show, show or something yeah. as a result of it. Cause she was like, I need something to wear on Jimmy Fallon. And we were like, oh, call in yeah. Lizzie Fortunato. <laughs> That's the answer to your question. She's like, oh, what's that? Okay. And, um, and she did. Yeah. And so it was like not a disaster, but it wasn't awesome either. It was, like, it was worth definitely it. awkward. And I just remember being like, it was really nice of Erica to just be like, okay, I'm going to go along with this, even though she definitely was Sure. Like, even though I'm embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, even though this is definitely embarrassing for both of us. And we're just going to like try it. And she's going to be supportive of me because she knows that like, she knows what's happening here. And like, she knows me well enough. The to emotional know. tenor yeah, of this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, th- thanks for knowing me and like seeing me <laughs> yes. and all of it. It's really funny. So the the what I'm launching now with this new digital magazine is all around letting out what we're calling soft stories. Mm. And I usually ask this at the end, but you guys just sort of answered it. And it's, I believe that soft stories are that moment that you guys both just described. It's like a moment of vulnerability or sharing something tender or real, crying after a like weird dude thing <laughs> or like approaching Mindy Kaling. But like that, something that's embarrassing or real bonds you instantly. And like, that doesn't happen in a job interview. It often doesn't happen, you know, on a first date or like a, it's like third friend hang when like someone's just had a weird day or like, it just will happen when you least expect it. And I want to create more of those moments. And so I just feel like that's what connects us and bonds us as, as people. And you can have those moments with anyone really when you're present and like just lean in. Mm -hmm, And so that's, mm -hmm. have you seen that in other relationships and have, have other people shared soft stories in, you know, how do you foster that environment with a bigger team now? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we learned about ourselves and our relationship in writing work wife was exactly what you just said, that vulnerability is like kind of the key to friendship and the key to so many relationships. And so I think one of the things we've tried to do consciously based on that is just to be more vulnerable in front of our team and to, in doing so, try to encourage them to be vulnerable with us. So, you know, last year, Erica's mom got sick and she shared that with the team in a way that she didn't have to, but wanted to sort of let them in on how it was influencing her life and 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 her day-to-day at work too. And when I got pregnant and I was just like really sick and also just totally sort of mentally consumed with how my life was about to change, I decided to tell the team like well before that sort of like first trimester cutoff because I wanted them to know what I was going through and wanted them to sort of have a sense of that. Um, And and I I think and I hope that those sorts of moments have made them more comfortable coming to us and saying like, hey, I have a sick family member or I'm getting married and that that's sort of like consuming some of my attention right now or whatever it is to just make themselves more real and more whole and to be able to say like, Hey, like this is my job and this is my focus and my priority, but I also have this other stuff going on and I want you to know that. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, like the example of, you know, my mom being sick when she had had an episode, uh, a similar episode 10 years ago and in, you know, having a conversation with one of my close friends who I met at working at Details, Ruthie, about it, 
I was like, I don't know if you remember that this happened like 10 years ago, but it's happening again. And she was like, you know, I, I do remember because it was like one of the formative moments of our friendship. Mm-hmm. I think it's like one of the moments where I was like, wow, we're real friends. We're not totally. just like work friends because you're sharing this thing with me. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. So going back to your team, how did you guys learn to be good managers? I think it's something that… <laughs> slowly. Yeah. Really slowly. Yeah, we're are, still learning. Yeah. yeah. What are some of your tips? Oh. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think, I think one of the things that we've gotten better at over time is just like giving the feedback and not being concerned about the way that the feedback is going to be received and not like tiptoeing around like the feedback as much. Because sometimes you just need to say like, look, that thing, like what's happening with it? Or like that, you really could have done a better job with that or, you know, whatever. And it has nothing to do with your relationship with the person. It even, it doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with their broader job performance. It's just saying like this thing, like why? And I think just being able to say like, we can have a normal conversation after I give you that feedback and that doesn't need to derail a whole meeting. And that doesn't need to be even like the higher low note of a meeting, it can just be a piece of feedback, is important to learn both as a manager and, and someone who has a manager. Yeah. One of the things that I think it's taken me a really long time to learn is how I like to be sort of upwards managed. And I think once I got a handle on that, it got a lot easier because when we hired a new person, I could lay it all out up front and say like, here's how I like to receive communication. Here's how I like to run our check-ins here. And, and I think people like that because then they have clear expectations Mm -hmm. too. And I think I found that the more I can systematize these things, so like have a recurring agenda for every check-in and have a way of, you know, a place in that agenda to give feedback every week, whether it's positive or or negative, just helps people sort of be ready for how the relationship is going to be run. Yeah. I think I, this has been a really challenging thing for me. And I think that consistency in both structure and in the way you provide feedback is really important because I've struggled with that like sandwich effect of like, you're so amazing, but like this isn't great. But yeah. it actually was my fault. Like right. I didn't yeah. probably yeah, give yeah, you enough yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like nobody really know has clear expectations and it's just sort of a mess. And it's like a lesson I'm like super learning right now. I, yeah, I think it's one of those, at least in our experience, is just takes so much practice and experience. Yeah. And that's been a big part of it. Yeah. And you'll make mistakes and that's yeah. how you learn. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's talk a bit about your book a bit more. What was the writing process like for that while you were running a business and conducting all those interviews? And what are some relationships that you learned from or like maybe a tidbit each of you gained from it that comes to mind? Uh, The process was a lot of like nights, weekends, Mm -hmm. and early mornings. And we basically... It was it, it was interesting because it's like we've worked so much together, right? Like we really have a system down for how to work together on of a kind, but this was a totally new process. And I think while you were still doing of a kind. While we were still doing of a kind. And I think that that was more jarring than we had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately basically what we ended up doing was we would have Google Docs for each chapter that we would bounce back and forth. Um, and God knows how anybody else yeah, writes things, I, but this is how we right. did. Where like I would draft something, send it to Clara, and then we would bounce it back and forth until we were happy with it. Yeah, I, and it was it was one of those things where at the end we were like, oh, we should have just like set up a structure for that. We should have yeah. figured that out earlier. Yeah, and then it was the the interviews were 
sort of all over the place. We had one big trip where we tried to cram most of the non-local ones into, I think, like yeah. a week and a half, a week Yeah, long. so we went to L.A. and Denver and Chicago right. for those. Yeah. Um, and I think that, God, the interviews were so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would leave every one of them. You would hear things during the interviews that you would just, like, get chills about or that you'd be like, that's us. Yeah. Or, like, that's something we felt. Or, like, mm-hmm. that's how we think about it. Or just things you're like, God, they approach that so differently and it really right. works for them. Yeah. I think that was really interesting and important to us. So we interviewed 14 different duos of Can trios you of women. say a couple so people yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the ones to answer, you know, someone who I think we picked up a lot from was the founders of Food 52, Meryl Stubbs and Amanda Hesser. We interviewed the Olympic volleyball champions, Carrie Lee Walsh and Misty May Trainer. Who else did we interview? The podcast hosts of Call Your Girlfriend, mm-hmm. three lawyers in Chicago that run a law firm uh, called KMR. The founders of Go Fug Yourself. Um, so many. Yeah, we did. Um, we, we Killer it, films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think, so one of the things that we took away from the Food 52 founders is how they navigated Merrill's maternity leaves. And that was huge for us because I wasn't pregnant yet, but we had been having a lot of conversations about the fact that I probably would become pregnant at some point. And Erica wasn't going to, does not want kids. And so that was the source of a lot of anxiety, I think, for both of us of just like, we've gone through all these big life stages more or less together. And what will this look like? And they had developed certain systems, like the fact that Amanda would send an email to Merrill every week to just tell her what was Mm. going on at the office that felt so obvious, but so revelatory because it was like, there isn't big surprise, but there aren't a lot of systems in place for to support women mm-hmm. while they're out on maternity leave to keep them in the loop at work. And so seeing how these sort of systems that were really just born out of friendship and like necessity were really inspiring and really game-changing. So ultimately Erica said like, I know how much you liked that idea and I did too. So what if um, I just came to your house a couple days a week in the afternoon because, you know, we live close together and not that far from the office and I can catch you up on what's happening at the office, but also just like help with the baby or help around the house if you need that. And it was so moving. This is like, I tear up every time I talk about it, but it was such a generous offer. And it was, um, it, it saw what I, it saw me for who I was, which was someone who was having already a lot of anticipatory FOMO about being out on maternity leave. And that was one of those things where I was just like, I, this is such a gift to be able to talk to all these women and get the, the validation, the ideas, the, the motivation to, to keep doing this. And I do think the validation was an interesting thing for us. And I think for the people who said yes to, to being in the book or to being on the podcast episodes mm-hmm. that we did related um, to the book content as well, that like, we sort of all know that we have something special in this relationship, but because like it's not a broadly accepted thing, it's hard to f- sometimes to feel like it's real, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think in having these conversations and laying them all out there together, you're like, wow, like the number of duos of, of, of women who said she's the yin to my yang across like different fields and different industries mm-hmm. and different age groups, like this is something yeah. and it deserves to be seen for what it is. Mm-hmm. And also that I think all of the women who we interviewed felt as strongly as we did about the sanctity of the relationship, that it wasn't just a friendship and it wasn't just a business partnership, but that it was a true marriage and that it had real stakes and and that there was real vulnerability in it. And I think that was really validating because I do think sometimes we feel like a little bit like embarrassed or something. I know I did when I was thinking about having a kid and was so anxious about how that would impact our relationship. I was like, shouldn't I just only be worried about my actual marriage, not this one and how, you know, how that, how having a kid's going to affect that. But to meet all these other women who were validating and saying like, yeah, our life choices impact this relationship. And that's really important was just made me feel better. And, and I think allowed us to embrace it a little more. 
Yeah. Did you guys, was there anything that surprised you from the book? One of the things that that I think not maybe surprised us, but became apparent through the course of the interviews is that in general, the work wives that we interviewed just weren't good at fighting or at, like at least weren't good at talking about fighting. Um, and that's something that we personally had experienced that like for the first five years of our business partnership, we didn't really fight. And we just hadn't in our friendship. It just like wasn't part of, you know, our relationship. And so it, it felt like it, there was no obvious way to incorporate it into our business partnership. And I think in just doing more digging about that, we learned that, you know, that's that's like typical of female friendships um, because of the way that we are socialized to communicate mm-hmm. with one another um, and the ways that we look for sameness as, as a means of bonding. And so people who, you know, sort of push back against those ideas that we, we were the same, yeah. that creates conflict that, you know, can sometimes go unresolved. Yeah. I heard Olivia Wilde talk about this on a mm. podcast mm. talking about Booksmart and yeah. female friendship, how we're really, really good at saying, oh my God, I love you. You're amazing. Yeah. Like we're really good at telling each other we love each other, but we're really bad at giving each other feedback yeah. where dudes are like better at being like, hey, can you stop doing that? But yeah. they're not as good as telling each other they, they love each other. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like when I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, that tracks. Oh like, yeah, I, totally. I totally. never, I never tell a friend when they're doing something that bugs me. Yeah. yeah. You know, totally. I'll just like yeah. pocket it down and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You mentioned too that most of the relationships were the yin to their yang. Do you find that with each other? And how do you guys, how do you balance each other and what you mm-hmm. do? I mean, I think there's a spectrum. So you had, you know, some, some relationships where one person was like the totally like sort of like creative loosey goosey one. And the other one was like the structure sort of like business Mm -hmm. operations one. And we don't have that. Like we're both tend to be more of the sort of like creative, like vision people. But I do think sort of in, in our personalities, I will tend to be the more sort of like, I I don't know how, like the, the worst thing they can say is no. Right. Exactly. Ask, like, just ask, we just ask. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll be the more sort of like bold, aggressive one. And Eric is the one who's like always writing a thank you note, always crossing her T's and dotting I's. I don't know. It feels like a little bit like forward or aggressive. (laughs) So I like, yeah, I guess the, the succinct way that I usually say it is that like, I say, let's ask for the world. And Erica says, cool, let's write a thank you note. Like she never doesn't write a thank you note, you know, and I never write thank you notes. But like, and and I think it works in that way. And and there are various other things in our personalities that that, that sort of track along those lines that that do tend to work well together. But I do think over the years we've really rubbed off on each other too. And I think that you know I've become more bold than I certainly than I was ten years ago. And you do send thank you notes sometimes occasionally now, for work. Occasionally, yes, for, for work. work. Yeah, maybe not and in, in your general. Personal life, I think I've just like, become yeah. a more sort of like careful person as yeah. a result of you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I really like you guys. I like never want to leave. <laughs> this is very cool. So these are some quick fire questions that'll that'll be sort of fun. Some are longer, some are shorter. So you both obviously with your work and just in general meeting you, great style. What are your style tips? What are some go to trends you're liking right now in general? Like looking put together, mm. how do you do it? Mm. I mean, I think my answer is just put on big earrings, yeah. probably, which I'm not doing today, but. Whenever I'm like, oh, this is boring or like I don't feel like trying, I just put on big earrings. I think we both have found color palettes that we're comfortable with and stick to them pretty aggressively. So for me, it's like camel, beige, neutral, tan colors. And Erica is really into like black and gray. And I mean, I think the other thing, and I really learned this, have learned this as a result of 
being pregnant and now like breastfeeding is just buy clothes for right now. Um, like even when I was pregnant, I'd be like, oh, that'll fit when I'm like six months pregnant, but you just have no clue what your body's going to look like. And I, you hear that a lot in general from people like just buy the clothes for now. Um, I think it can be frustrating to buy things that don't fit. And it's really, I mean, that's a thing we talk about on this podcast often is, and I'll ask you now is body image Mm -hmm. and what you do when you're having like a bad body image day. And I think one thing, which I want to know from you, but I think one thing that's very jarring body image wise is putting, no matter how you're feeling about yourself, putting on something that doesn't feel right yeah, totally. or just the like, getting rid of anything that doesn't yeah. fit is like really just the number one tip for that. Yeah. yeah. But how do you, have you guys ever struggled with body image or feeling uncomfortable in your skin? How do you deal with that? What do you do on like a bad body image day to yeah, feel better? Totally. Um, I mean, I think we both definitely have at various points for sure. And I think something that's made a difference for me is finding fitness workout things that I can do that I just like enjoy. Um, and so for me, it's like Pilates and yoga where I can enjoy it and feel stronger and not like go at it with anything more than that. And being like, wow, like I can appreciate my body in this and I can appreciate the things that it can do because it can, it's like easy to get wrapped up and like, oh, like I feel like this look, I look terrible today and like nothing feels right. And like, blah. Yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer for this because I think I have been having a lot of body image issues lately because I had a baby seven months ago and I'm breastfeeding. So I have these boobs that I don't know who's there. They're They're not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't been doing a great job of it. And so I, I hesitate to give advice around it except to say that I think there are certain people that I follow on Instagram who I'm very inspired by in terms of their sort of body positivity outlook. So Katie Storino is one who she came on our podcast and I was like, just tell me what to do. And she was like, stop saying mean things about your body. And so that is one thing that I try to just like stop the negative self-talk around it. But yeah, I, to be honest, it's not something I like talk about a lot in general in public. Cause I don't, I don't want to encourage it in other people, but I don't feel awesome about my body right now. And so I, it's like, I, I, yeah, I don't have good advice about it. If I'm, if you have good advice, you tell me. <laughs> no, I'm kind of in the same yeah. boat as you, which is why I'm always asking yeah. people yeah. about it and like emoting about it all yeah. for the internet. But I think it's really insidious and I think yeah, it's really it complicated yeah. for women and people and, you know, it comes in waves. And I think when you're feeling bad about one area of your life, it can spiral. I yeah. mean, here's one thing I will say that I have been learning through this process is that I have been doing a lot of like, oh, well, I feel this way now because I just had a baby. And then I look back on pictures of myself pre-pregnancy when I still had body image issues or would like really watch the scale and be like upset because I gained a couple of pounds. And I look back on that now and I'm like, I looked fantastic. And so I think the one thing that I am learning that might be helpful for me moving forward is just to realize that like, on some level, it's like all body dysmorphia and like yeah. I'm not accurately seeing what I think I'm seeing because I I can now look back and see pictures when I was like running a marathon even and I would be like have an off day and be like, I feel like I gained a little bit of weight and I can look now and be like, why was I so anxious about it? And so if, I, if I've learned anything through this particular part of the journey, it's that I'm I'm a dummy and I need, I'm like not seeing things right because I, you know, when I was much skinnier than I was now, I was still freaking out about it. And we never see ourselves clearly, you know, like we never are going to see in the mirror what other people see of us because it's the whole picture that they're seeing. And and it's also like, I don't think our bodies are really in our control. You know, I think we can spend so much of our life sitting on our hands and trying to control, but that takes us away from living. Mm -hmm. And 
Anyway, it's just, it's something that I always want to talk about in here because I think it's always kind of underlying part of the conversation Mm -hmm. of everything I do because it's just kind of there. We have to live in these. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Okay. So favorite place in New York? Mm. Oh my gosh. It feels like it should be easier than it is. Okay. The one that comes to mind and it's a little depressing because I haven't been there in so long, but the reservoir, the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Reservoir, um, and on the Upper West Side of Central Park, it's where I, I used to live really close to it. And it's where I like learned, basically taught myself to run and would run around it every single morning. And so it's just a really incredible little oasis, but it also just has so much meaning to me because yeah. running is such an integral part of my life and part of my mental health routine. And so just that, that like short loop, just running it over and over, it was really, it's a special place for me. Oh, I love that. I don't know my answer. I guess my best answer is the Billie Jean King Tennis Center. Um, I just love the U.S. Open so much. I think it's the best best sporting event in the world, having not been to all the sporting events in the world. <laughs> but also just love, like, everything Billie Jean King represents. And you go there and play tennis with your husband. Yeah, you can rent big. courts. And they're not crazy expensive, considering how crazy expensive so many things in New York right. are. But you can, like— sign up and play on one of these beautiful courts that, you know, Venus Williams played at like last, yeah, last season. It's pretty cool. What are each of your morning rituals or first few things you do when you wake up in the morning? The very first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is feed my bunny, Ash. She just like loves breakfast just so much. And she just like looks forward to it all night Um, and just like buries her face in the bowl out of excitement, which is, which is pretty satisfying person to be able to like make anything happy. Yeah. 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 I exercise every morning, um, usually running uh, several miles. And it's like I mentioned, I, so like 10 years or so, a little bit more than that 10 year, a little over 10 years ago, I started this routine of just running every morning as a way of helping cycle off antidepressants because I wanted to sort of replace the endorphins, I guess. And it just worked so well that I got really addicted and incorporated as part of my routine and through so many big life changes, including starting of a kind and having a baby, I've just been really committed to making sure that it remains a top priority. And it's like, it's that nice time to myself every day. And if I don't do it, I really, I do feel the impact in my day because I just don't have the same like calm and clarity. Mm, That's cool. What are some other things that each of you do for mental health? Do you guys... You mentioned you were on antidepressants. Do you have a tendency towards depression or anxiety? And how do you guys manage those things or just general stress and overwhelm? So I'm not on antidepressants anymore, but I do, I think like I have a history of it. And so I'm always sort of like aware and on the lookout for it. And especially now that I've had a baby and I, you know, he's starting to slowly wean off of breastfeeding, which I know for a lot of women can be a trigger for postpartum. I just try to sort of be hyper aware of it. We also both see a management coach who I always say is um, one third management coach, one third marriage counselor and one third therapist. And so I think it's a nice opportunity every week for us to, you know, if explore like, is something going on emotionally right now that I need to work out in, in yeah. a doctor's office or like in, in a yeah, room yeah, yeah. on yeah. couch? And sometimes we'll have to sort of remind the other one, like, hey, did you ask Ben about that thing that keeps coming up for you? Yeah. I do think, I mean, I hadn't had ex- past experience with therapy before seeing Ben. And I do think that it has been really productive, especially through like a couple things that I've dealt with over the last few years, just to have someone who 
is invested and who is sort of up to date. Neutral. Um, and neutral. Yeah. And, and, and who you know isn't going to bug you like every day about it too. Because I do think when you're going through something hard or tumultuous, as like, lo- as like wonderful and loving as it can be to have friends who are checking in on you, sometimes it's also just like anxiety inducing to have to have the same conversation totally. 45 times to be like, here's what happened since I told you like three days ago. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that I experience a lot of like wear and tear with sometimes. So do you guys have an evening ritual as things you do, the last mm. few things you do before you go to sleep? Not consistently besides for me reading. I do read a lot and think that that like definitely helps clear my head before I go to bed, especially if it's something like, especially if it's like fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really, although we're not intentionally, but start since starting, since having a baby, I started journaling more and I've just been a little bit more consistent about it. And it's not by any means daily, but I would say, you know, a couple times a week usually. And I have had this journal forever that I think we got for free in some, I don't know, gift bag or something. That's was one it of the those. cut gift bag? No, no, it was the, it was like, I don't Chronicle. know why I'm trying to figure <laughs> out which gift bag it was as if that's a relevant question. But it's, it's one of these um, like five-year journals where, yeah. you know. You, I like that yeah. format, that because idea. It's, yeah. it's such I've a small amount. I've gifted it to so many people yeah. that no, haven't actually a, used it myself. It's a nice thing because I don't, for some reason it doesn't, there isn't the pressure for me to do it every day. Like I like that I can just skip to whatever day it yeah. is. And I don't feel any guilt about the days that were skipped in between because I know I can come back to them. And it is such a small amount of space they give you. And I usually end up like going out of it. But I think especially since having a baby, it had, like the benefits of journaling have been really obvious to me because I can very clearly look back and say, either like, wow, I can't believe how far I've come from when I was feeling this way, or even just to surface something we were talking about earlier, be like, wow, I've really been complaining about these body image issues for a while now. And it, and even just to like have that, I think is useful to be like, okay, you, you've been feeling this way for a while now is, you know, to have that awareness is helpful for me. Yeah. It's, so I wrote this book about journaling. That was another yeah. thing I was going to ask yeah. you guys about. I think it's such a tremendous tool for self-awareness, yeah. you know, and yeah. then you can kind of come to your relationships and your therapy or whatever work you're doing with a little bit, like you can go a little deeper because yeah. you're already, you've chipped away. About it. Yeah. yeah. So for you, you're a writer and have a background writing. Is journaling something that you do? For- you know, it isn't really. And I don't know why. I mean, I have gotten over the last like year or so have gotten into some form of like gratitude journal, which I've like, I'm like, I was telling Claire about it the other day. I was like so embarrassed about it that I... <laughs> It's a note on my phone called GJ because the idea of <laughs> like the terms gratitude journal just feels totally. so like, oh, really? To me. Um, and I have gotten into the habit basically of on my walk to work or to the subway, just like jotting down five things mm-hmm. that I'm grateful for, like big or small. And it is nice to sort of just like have this log and and to just like appreciate things because I do think you know, we have had a lot of change and we've experienced a lot of like sort of like ups and downs over the last couple of years that it's just like nice to have these, mm-hmm. th- these like markers to remember, like there are so many good things. Yeah. I think yeah. it's easy to focus on getting your brain to look for the good things 100%. is a good practice because yeah. it's so easy to see the the bad things because yes. you have to deal with the bad things. Yes. So you don't really have to deal with the good things. Yeah, they exactly. just come and go. Yes. You know, what's your favorite part of your life right now? Speaking of gratitude. Mm-hmm. My husband was living long distance um, in Minneapolis for two years. And so, and he was like sort of back and forth and it was really hard, like harder than I, I think expected it to be, at least like in terms of like the day-to-day of it was harder than I expected it to be, I think. I think I knew that emotionally it could be draining, but like 
just the like ins and outs of like, when do we talk to each other and like having to like deal with that like stuff. It was like all of the pressure of having a relationship, but none of the good part (laughs) of it. Um, And he's back in New York now. And so I think just being able to like, like have breakfast with him and like be able to do those things. I'm like, God, that's just like so nice. And that's like what I signed up for. Yeah. (laughs) I think for me, it's seeing, seeing my son and, and I really, there's so much about the routine of being a parent of a infant that can feel like stifling and sort of like lacks a certain element of freedom, but there's also something really nice and comforting when I'm like having a low moment in the middle of the day to be, to just know that the day is going to end with me going home mm-hmm. to him and spending an hour with him is, is really nice. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Mm. Last night I went to this restaurant, Sofra, in it's like Prospect Heights, Park Slope border right on Flatbush. And it is a Persian restaurant um, that is just like delicious, delicious, delicious. And I love that the woman behind it she opened the restaurant. It's her first restaurant, and she opened it when she was 59, which I just, like, oh, love, I love um, that as a story, too. too. That's great. Last night, I didn't feel like eating dinner, and so I just cut up a farmer's market tomato and ate it with ricotta and olive oil and salt and pepper, That's and it was dinner? delicious. That's, it yeah. was delicious. Amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That, that would be, like, a small plate at, like, a fancy yeah. restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> it was Reichel dinner. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah, it was great. And I was just, like, very pouty about not wanting dinner, not wanting to make it. And then I was like, oh, this tastes good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed and you have so much to do, but you don't know where to start? Do you have any tips? I think the answer is just like doing something. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't really matter what, I think at that point it like doesn't really matter what the, like how you prioritize things or in what order. It's just like once you start doing something and make progress on some of those things, some of the anxiety goes away because you're like in motion. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I I thought you were just going to end it with what do you do? Because then and then you said do you have any tips? And I was like, mm, I feel like I open Instagram. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just avoid completely. Same. I get a snack. <laughs> That's not yeah. my tip. But if you want the honest answer to what <laughs> totally. I do, that is often. I know. The Same. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. What What's your greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Mm. Non work. Yeah. yeah. Wives and husbands. <laughs> Mm, this we've talked about recently. Yeah, I feel like um, you're gonna yeah. say the thing. This I was is gonna we're say. gonna we can talk about yeah. this one. That like don't let someone's style be the thing that that like is a deal breaker for you mm-hmm. because you can change that. Yeah. Um, and when I started dating my husband, he I mean, granted he was like 19, so but he was wearing is this the basketball player. Well, no, no. no. <laughs> he was wearing like low slung skater boy jeans and would wear like little like seed bead. We always say puka shell necklaces because it's like more obvious. Yeah. But he's like, I never wore a puka shell necklace. <laughs> so seed bead oh necklaces <laughs> and these white Oakleys that are just like a real atrocity. But and you saw right past all that. Yeah, totally. And we've yeah. really worked through it, yeah, and, and it's been no problem. Yeah. I think it speaks to something in general that I have found with relationships, which is like, there's so much that we fight about that honestly is pretty easy to fix. And like, that should never be the thing. So the thing I always think about is like a messy house. Like if that's the thing that you keep fighting about, budget for a housekeeper and just never talk about it again. And there's so much stuff that can be addressed with just like a spreadsheet of either like whose responsibility it is or like saving some money and throwing some money at the problem that I'm like, there's so much stuff that you can't solve that way. Let's like deal with all the sort of administrative stuff and never have to talk about it ever again. Yeah. I think too, it's just like, 
pick someone and sit still with them for a bit because they're never going to be perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah exactly. And I think it's well, just. Well, you're not perfect. Yeah. Like, no, you know what I mean? So like, not perfect. Yeah. yeah. And and you both have to want to sit still with each other. Yeah. But yeah. when you find that, someone, like there's that line in Friends, it's like, I think Monica's talking about Chandler, vice versa. And they're like, I hate you less than I hate all the other people. You yeah. know? Yeah. And yeah like, totally. It's, yeah. It's kind of spot on. Greatest lesson on family. There's like nothing specific that like makes a family. A family is like what mm. you want it to be. And I think that that's something I've had to think about more and more in deciding not to have kids that like people want to be like, oh, like they're starting a family. And it's like, no, a family is like, yes, whatever, it, whatever you decide a family is, it is. And that can include friends, that can include blood relatives, that can include whoever, that can include neighbors. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Gosh, I don't know if I have one as good as that. I mean, I think the a lesson I have learned is just to always sort of keep trying and and to to say to say what you have on your mind because you just never know when you're not going to have the opportunity again. Mm, yeah, that's so good. You guys mentioned both growing up Jewish. Where are you with spirituality now? What happens when we die? What are your thoughts there? I don't really have thoughts. Yeah. I'm really not religious at all and was raised by two scientists who were like firmly not religious, who were like, you know, if you can't prove it empirically, it is not true. <laughs> um, and yeah, I do believe that when you die, you die. I think the thing that I have found that I didn't have growing up and that I think some people do get through religion is just a certain mindfulness and an awareness. And 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 that, I guess, some people also call spirituality. But I, I do think ritual can be really helpful in helping you gain that sort of mindfulness that, and, and I think that is to me, like the closest I'll ever get to religion is realizing that certain things that we do and that we repeat and like meditating and just sitting still for a while and doing things as a group, all of that contributes to a sense of well-being. Do you guys think that we're all like connected in some way or when something bad happens, it ha- I, I happens for a reason? Yeah. Or, I don't yeah. know about happens for a reason because yeah. I don't think I believe that personally, yeah. I know a lot of people do, but I think I believe that, like, you can choose to make meaning of something or not. That I sort of believe. So where are you with that? I mean, I I certainly don't believe that things happen for a reason, but I do believe that, you know, you can shape your reaction to yeah. think you can't control anything in this yeah. world, but you can control how you react to it and your response to it and, and the sort of, like, life you live yeah. as a result. And it could end up being a good thing. And you can end. end up finding meaning or value not, no. or, or yeah. some positive uh, thing out of something really terrible. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's all you can do or attempt to do. Yeah. yeah. So you guys have a podcast mm-hmm. yeah. and it's on a break right now, right? Yes. But you will be coming back? Oh, yes. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. After Labor Day. Yeah. We just tried to, we've been trying to be better about programming breaks mm-hmm. for ourselves. Great. Because yeah. we're basically like, if the Daily Show can go on hiatus for as long <laughs> totally. as they do, this podcast we can, can as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been doing seasons too, and yeah. I think it serves the yeah. work. What do you think of this medium? I mean, you guys are so good. You have such a great dynamic. Oh, thanks. I feel like it's really served of a kind just from, from my perspective, but how has it been for you guys? We really love it. We have always struggled with photo shoots and we've never, and we've like been like somewhat comfortable with video and we've done all those things like all since starting of a kind. And then one day someone asked us to be on her podcast. It was Grace Bonnie of Design Spun. She used to have a podcast and we went and we did it. It was our first time doing this sort of like radio format. And we were like, wow, that was so comfortable. And we really felt good doing that. And like that it made was, us be like, why didn't we have a college radio show? Yeah, we really should have we liked loved it. This. And 
And I think, you know, there is something about the lack of cameras around, although we're not opposed to the idea of like doing video at some point. And I think that has holds some appeal for us, but there is something about it that just felt really natural to us and, and we've really enjoyed it. And I think it's been, like you said, a really cool thing for of a kind to be able to expand the universe in this way. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone wanting to start a podcast? I think consistency is key and sort of holding yourself to certain standards and, and trying out different things. So, you know, at some point we had a book club. We don't have the book club anymore. At some point, you know, we've had various formats and, um, you know, trying them for long enough to get a read on how people react to them is important. Yeah. I think we're real, we're true believers in consistency in general. And I think that whatever success we've achieved with of a kind is really, I think, the result of that. Mm -hmm. It's like really of like showing up, putting in the work, holding yourself accountable. Even if you think only six people are reading the website are going to see this story, knowing that you have, you know, holding yourself to this publishing schedule, holding yourself to this edition release schedule. We were like, we pulled out, you know, we drove ourselves crazy the first year of the business because we told ourselves that we released product on X day of the week. And we would like, you know, run around like chickens with their heads cut off to make that happen. And if we had skipped a week, nobody would have noticed except for the two of us. But we noticed. But we always took ourselves really seriously and we wanted other people to take it seriously. And I think the same goes for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. What are you guys working on right now? What are you excited about right now? Mm -hmm. This won't be coming out for a couple of weeks, but what's going so maybe on? Maybe by the time this comes out, some of our fall apparel will have started to launch, but I get so excited every time we're in a team meeting and we talk about it or reference it. We hadn't, we didn't have apparel on the site in a big way until a couple of years ago. And so we are still sort of learning it. And I think we have now done enough of it to really be hitting our stride and our fall buy is just so good. And everybody on the team just wants everything that I... I can't wait to see how our audience responds to it. It's a real thrill when when things like go well from a retail perspective and you see all those sales roll in and I have a feeling we're, we're going to oh, get to experience that thrill. Yeah, this will be out in like October. So I mean, if there's yeah, anything perfect. on the yeah. site you guys want to shout out now that like oh, you're loving. We have incredible outerwear from a Paris, Emerson Fry. We have so much outerwear in general yeah. for fall, which we've never really had before. And I feel like, I don't know, it's just like, I think coats are really hard to find. Totally. Um, yeah. I feel like I've said in multiple team meetings yeah. now, and people are like, sure, like, I've, I've heard it. Well, <laughs> well and they're <laughs> crucial. Yeah, they're like yeah. an accessory. So, and they're expensive. And one thing that we've always done well at Of A Kind is to be price conscious in a way that, you know, we're not trying to compete with fast fashion, but we also recognize that not everybody can afford, like, really high-end luxury. And so I think we've done a good job at seeking out the pieces that can feel a little bit more accessible. They're still investment pieces, For but sure. they're more accessible. Yeah. What are you guys, well, okay, this is my favorite. I was going to ask you what you were most excited about on the site, but I feel like (laughs) it's coming out later. Okay, this is my favorite part of the show, and it's the last thing, and it's a way to recommend things. So I'll walk you through different categories, and just they can be all-time favorites or things you're into right now. Okay, so book, music, podcast, writer, food, TV show, movie. Mm. Okay, okay. Okay, so book. Yeah, let's start with book. Something I really that I really loved that I read recently is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by oh, Lori yeah. Gottlieb. Another person that Kayleen connected me with. Oh, amazing. I, I thought that I like, I think I didn't really know what to expect going into the book, but it's basically about a woman who goes through, who's a, a psychiatrist who's going through a bad breakup. She decides to see a psychiatrist for herself. And it's about her relationship with him and then her relationship with, I think, three or four of her patients. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, moving and thought-provoking um, and has stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, I listened to her, an interview of hers, and I just loved her. I'm excited yeah, to read it. She, yeah, she's great. The 
best book I read last year was called Like a Mother by Angela Garbs, um, and I read it while I was pregnant, uh, but I think anybody should read it, whether they plan on I read it while Claire was pregnant, yeah. too, and yeah, it's not yeah. just for pregnant people, that's it, for sure. It really is, it, it is a really um, sort of comprehensive look at how we treat women in America who are pregnant and having babies and um, just a real look at the experience of it all. So it's both, it's a little bit memoir, it's a little bit of like reporting and a little bit of a critique. And I learned so much from it and I think went into my own labor and postpartum period so much more empowered with information and and with anger about it too. But I thought it was just really eye-opening and wonderful and I learned so much from it. Oh, great. Okay. Be thinking about movie that you want to recommend, but let me just take a quick side note to ask you a personal question that's like maybe just for me, but might be useful for other people. (laughs) So my best friend just had a baby yesterday. Oh my God. What would be the best thing that you would want Mm. as a new mom that I could do? She lives in Columbus, Ohio. I live here. Yeah. Yeah. Gift. I've already bought a massage. Oh, like, that was a really good one. That's one I recommend. Anything, already done a good job. Anything yeah. else? What'd you say? Already done a good job. Thank yeah. you. Massage was huge um, for me postpartum because your body has just really gone through it and right. That's what I figured. Another number on it, and it was that was an incredible gift that someone gave me. And she has all the stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Something that Erica gave me that was I would say the other most impactful gift was this service called the Culinist. Colonistas, colonistas. I can never decide how to pronounce it. They're in-home chefs and they will come to your house. And what's great is that they just come once and that they will cook a week of meals. And then, you know, you can have them week after week if you want, but they are meals that are prepared, that are developed to hold up well in the refrigerator that you can eat cold or that you can reheat. And it's so nice because it doesn't just feel like takeout or like a frozen meal. It's like, it, it feels somewhat fresh and you, even if you just have to like put it in a pan, you feel like you kind of made dinner and they have a postpartum program. So you can uh, order from that menu where you really feel like, um, and the other thing I, you know, I mentioned that they only come once. And I do think that that's something that in retrospect, I didn't fully appreciate about the postpartum period is that it can be really hard to have people in your house all the time, especially people who aren't like an Erica in your right. life, right? Like who you can just be yourself with. And I was rereading uh, Erica Chitty Cohen's book, Nurture. Oh, and yeah, she, love her. she has this section where she talks about scheduling guests and she says, you know, schedule an afternoon where, you know, as many can come as they want, but then make sure that the next day you have absolutely nothing mm-hmm. planned. And that yeah. was something that I was like, I did sort of sub not even so consciously try to do that myself because I knew those days where nothing was planned were really important. But I think if I could go back and do it again, I would be even more like deliberate about that. And so like not having, you know, somebody come to your house every day to cook yeah. is actually really nice. Yeah. Having it just What's it called again? Is it all the colonistas? Um, no, it's, it's just not. in New York. You right know what now, could I be think. a good oh, sub? And they might be in LA also. Yeah. A yeah. good sub for that since yeah. Ohio. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. Hungry Root. Mm. I don't, I there's their stuff is good. Um, and it really it is, is like combining yeah. three things yeah. in a yeah, pan yeah, yeah. in five minutes and it's all healthy and you can choose based on like what food you're into and just like sending like a week's worth of yeah. that could be a nice Not sponsored, uh, but no, open no, to no, it no, for yeah. all of us. Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. Okay. Music and movie. Mm. Music right now, Casey Musgraves. Oh, yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen her in concert once, and I'm going to see her in concert again in like a month or two. I was reading, there was a really good, like, there was an uh, interview with her, or not even an interview, just a story in Variety the other day talking about how she was, she brought up gun control at a Mm. concert, and, you know, she was getting all kinds of shit about it on Twitter. 
Um, and she made this really good point that she's like, for, she was like, obvious, she was like, obviously, like, I'm a human. I get to have opinions. You don't get to tell me to just be a singer. She's like, but also my job involves being in uh, crowded places totally. all the time. And so guess what? It's of special concern to me yeah. because like I have to perform in venues that are the sites of these things, right. which I just like really liked as a response and appreciated. Yeah. My music is not like my favorite music ever, but music I discovered recently via my husband because he kept putting it on during dinner. And I was like, this is the most amazing dinner music. What is it? And it's this harpist, Dorothy Ashby, um, who was like around really like in the 60s and hmm. 70s. I, I, I'd never heard of her before. She's a her. black jazz harpist. And she's very, I think she's like, when I like started Googling her, there was a lot of like, nobody celebrates this woman enough. Yeah. Um, but she, it's, I wouldn't have even recognized it as harp music, but it's really like perfect dinner jazz if you're cool. looking for something to put on at your next Ooh, dinner party. Yeah, or maybe even like while you're working. If yeah, you yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Okay, um, podcasts. What other podcasts do you guys listen to? Mm. I mean, we both love Call Your Girlfriend, yeah. and I think that's, you know, a mainstay for both of us. What about movies? What have you guys seen lately? All-time favorites? All-time favorite charade, which is the I only— I know charade. What? Really? Charade? No. Yeah, it's like a Hitchcock era, but not Hitchcock movie with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. And it's the only movie they were ever in together, even though it feels like they should have been in a million movies together. No. You guys seem to have a movie night. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. The like three movies, the like trifecta that were really formative for me as a young teen were Empire Records, Dazed and Confused, and Clueless. And I always say those were the movies that when they ended, I got like borderline actually depressed because they weren't my life. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, what is my life that this Why? isn't Why happening not? for yeah. me? My friend that just had the baby and I love Clueless so much. And when she came to visit me in New York, we saw the musical. Oh. It was a delight. Yeah. Yeah. Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. yeah. It's like a sugary delight because it's all 90s music that we love that they just changed the words to. Oh, nice. So like yeah. grunge and like, it's so fun. TV show. So I just started watching this show, Trinkets. It's on Netflix, and it is a high school. It's a really well-done high school movie, or sorry, high school TV show. One of the main characters moves to a new town after her mom dies, and she is a kleptomaniac, and she has to go to, like, a basically Klepto's Anonymous meeting, and two other girls from her high school are there, and they're unlikely friends, but they become sort of a trio of, of Kleptos. That sounds fascinating. I think one of the shows that I like reference in my life or just like think of all the time and I'm always surprised more people haven't watched it in its entirety is Ab Fab, which is just like, you don't know Ab Fab? Oh my God. (laughs) It is just, it's like a British comedy from the 90s or like, yeah, like early 90s that is just like weirdly so ahead of its time. And yeah, the like two main characters, Eddie and Patsy are just totally bonkers Eddie tries, like, ev- they're both, like, in fashion. Eddie's a publicist. Patsy is, like, a fashion director of a magazine, but, like, never goes to work. And Eddie will try, like, every trend, like, every health and wellness trend that exists. And she's, like, you know, on the phone with her, like, psychic. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's just, a like. a little bit of a precursor to Sex in the City, totally. too. Totally. Yeah, Great. It's very much like a friendship. Show. Is it on anything? I'll Google. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. It, like, goes through phases where it's on Thank different Thank you. Things. You guys it's have given me a wonderful. lot. Yeah. Okay, Desert Island food or, like, last meal food and beauty product or, like, makeup, whatever. Yeah. Beauty product, I think I'd have to say Sonia's brow bar, brow pencil. Um, it's just really I was good. just staring at both of your oh, brows. We both you. use the same yeah. brow pencil. Did, it, did you guys turn me on to boy brow like years ago? Maybe. I mean, I use boy brow, yeah. 
but it's like my secondary brow okay. product for yeah. sure. Because um, I've been getting brow content from you guys for years, and I was just like looking <laughs> we'll at like get our okay. brows done by Sonia too. Sonia Bugtaj, she has um, Sonia's brow bar on Twentieth Street in Manhattan. Um, yeah, twentieth or twenty first. Twentieth, twentieth, twentieth. Um, and yeah, she makes this incredible brow Great. pencil, and that's like the thing that I think if I could only have one thing, it makes the biggest difference. Okay, and you sell it on we sell it on we sell it on the brand. I've always been, I like, I've always been a person who's worn mascara every day and just like feel strong. Amazing eyelashes. Thank you. Yeah, you um, and we have this natural mascara that I'm really into. And it's like very hard to find natural totally. mascaras that work and don't get all over your face. And this one's by Lily Lolo, which is a British company and it's excellent. Oh, I'm going to get two new purchases <laughs> <laughs> and then food, like your oh, last food. food. Mm-hmm. Favorite food, cozy food, whatever. I mean, I just really love buffalo wings with blue cheese, and I'm also really addicted to chocolate. So thank you for the Great, chocolate bar. Same. Yeah. I don't know. Oysters. <gasps> I say, think. I really? mean, there's nothing yeah. better. Yeah. Do you guys want to go get oysters? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Truly. Great. Great. Well, this was a delay. I literally don't want to leave. I wish I, I could ask you way more questions. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But so then, this was just so yeah. lovely. Oh, thank good. you so much. You like, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Hopefully a good way to start the day. Yes, Great way to start the day. So the name of the podcast is Let It Out. So did I squeeze you for all your juice? Is there anything that you wish I would have asked that you wanted to talk about that you never get to talk about? I think you got it all. Yeah, I think so. Great. Okay, so we let out a deep breath together. That's how we end. Ready? Okay, inhale. Let it out. (sighs) Great. We did it. Thank you, guys. This was wonderful. Thank you. All right, so that was my episode with Erica and Claire, founders of Of A Kind, authors of the book Work Wife. Check out both. Their newsletter is one of my favorite things in the world. I've been following it for a long time and the way they curate content and everything they do, I just, I love. I love their aesthetic. I really liked them as people. I liked their office. I liked what they were wearing. I'm just very into them. So you probably are too after this episode. And that brings me to my likes and learns. So let's start with my likes. What I've been liking right now is a bunch of newsletters. I am getting back to writing mine and I want it to be weekly. My, what is it called? (laughs) My let it out letter, let a letter out, let a newsletter out. What should I call it, you guys? I don't know. I think it's called the let it out letter right now. And I was writing it monthly-ish, but there's no reason why I can't write it weekly. And I think I'm just going to keep it more simple. Instead of writing it monthly or bi-monthly and then just like packing it full of recommendations and what I've been learning and a long personal essay and all these photos, takes me so long to write. And it's like no fun for you to digest, I'm assuming. If I got that many links, I would be very overwhelmed. So I think I'm going to send it more frequently and just give like six links or seven or less or whatever it is that week. Maybe some weeks it's 10 and other weeks it's two. We'll see. So I would love your feedback on that. And in the meantime, I'll tell you some newsletters that I really love. Obviously of a kind, which we've covered at length. My friend and previous podcast guest, Josh Radner writes something called a muse letter, which I very much enjoy. He's such a talented writer and just a really thoughtful person. And I enjoy that a lot. A friend of mine named Crystal Fawn writes a newsletter called Near Futures, and it's fantastic, like folklore and stories she writes. And she also gives them a couple recommendations of articles, but she keeps it at like two or three, which I think I can learn from. My friend Jessica Murnan, who's been a podcast guest, writes a great newsletter. I'm doing this just off the top of my head. 
And Ruthie, who's Kayleen's best friend, I mentioned Kayleen at the top, she's throughout Kayleen's book. She writes a newsletter called This Week in Scams. Oh, and Ruthie's mentioned in this episode, actually, because Kayleen and Erica all worked at Details Magazine together, which is how they knew each other and how this episode came to be recommended to me. Anyway, she has a great newsletter. There are so many good ones and I want to get back to writing mine. And that's just something I've been loving more. And I don't know, it just feels nice to consume content that's not, it is on my phone or computer, but it's not on social media. And I like that. I also, this article I've been talking about quite a bit that Tavi Gevinson wrote for The Cut about social media, and I think it's called Who I Would Be Without Instagram. And that article, I bought the actual New Yorker magazine and read it on the plane when I was going to Columbus last weekend. And it just felt so nice to read something in a magazine and have it printed. And I'm going to really try to do that more. So those are some things I'm liking. And something I learned, I actually learned this from Erica and Claire. I was listening to their podcast this morning and they gave this tip that I think they got from a friend of theirs that was good for keeping in touch with long distance friends. And it's saying to a friend, text me your right now. It's a great way to stay in touch. It's like the best use of Snapchat if Snapchat was actually happening. It's something that I used to do this with my ex-boyfriend because we were long distance. And I got this from my friend Rose and Dylan, who I have talked about and they've made cameos on this podcast before. I was just with them in Berlin, but they do a similar thing where they'll text each other a photo. I think Dylan just started this and like it would be like his feet at the DMV or like something silly. And he would just say, of you. And so I started doing that with Nick and it was just like a really fun way to be like, this is where I'm at, you know, and, and made you feel less alone. And I think it's a really fun thing to do with friends. So I'm going to start doing that. I might do it right now for you guys. And then I'll put it on my story the day this comes out. How does that sound? And then you can get a visual of me in my friend's apartment, sitting at her kitchen table, recording this intro on my microphone, wearing a jumpsuit. Okay. That's what's happening with that. Also, do you guys use TikTok? They were talking about the app TikTok in their new episode of their podcast. I think their latest episode and I'm into it. I am here for it. I just downloaded it. Also, I've been thinking a lot about finding a rhythm and grounding and just wanting to be home more. Maybe this comes from being in Europe and traveling for over a month and moving apartments. <laughs> it's not a shock that I would want to stay in for a bit, but I moved to Brooklyn from Manhattan after my trip and it feels really good. And I have a lot of creative ideas and things I want to make and write and create. And I'm just really feeling I need to find my rhythm with that. And to do that, I need to either get off social media or find a better rhythm with that. And I don't know what that is. I have an Instagram account for myself and I also made one for Let It Out, which I just haven't started using or paying anyone to start using because I just kind of don't know what to do with it. And I have one for Let A Podcast Out, which is the digital workshop we chatted about at the beginning. So anyway, I would love your thoughts. How are you handling social media right now? How are you feeling? Read that article from Tavi. It is 
it's really illuminating and I relate to it in so many different ways. Of course, not everything. Her situation is very unique, but I relate. And I think we all can in some way. It's a weird, weird world out there with our phones. I'm beyond excited that Beyond Yoga is a sponsor of this week's episode. It's a female-founded, inclusive athleisure brand with inclusive sizing from Devil extra small to extra extra large they never retouch the shape of a woman's body in their photos and beyond yoga goes above and beyond to create styles that fit and flatter every body and most importantly to me the fabrics that they use are honestly the softest ever at beyond yoga they're dedicated to being transparent ethical and responsible in their practices that support all the people that they work with sustainability is at the forefront of every stage in creating their garments and they produce their clothing locally in LA and I just genuinely love their products of all the athleisure brands out there and I've worked with others before this is my dream one to work with I've been wearing their clothes since I was in college my aunt gave me a pair of their pants and I still have them I still wear them I love them so so much I recently got a new pair and I've been wearing that so often it's a sort of gross for the laundry situation like I need to I need to diversify probably I probably just need to buy another pair and I'm gonna use this code it's let it out for 20% off your order you can use it too that's let it out for 20% off your order one time per customer so I don't know maybe order a lot at once and get your holiday shopping done thank you so much beyond yoga I'm I'm really 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 happy that you're sponsoring the podcast because I love you and I've loved you for a long time and I think you guys listening will really like beyond yoga too okay love you guys so much i'll talk to you next week with a very special episode i love doing this podcast so much i'm so happy that i started it back in 2013 before you know it was what it is now with so many podcasts and sometimes i question if the world needs more podcasts but i really think you know why not if you want to make one, you should make one. And I would love to help you. Let a podcast out is here for you. Email me if you have any questions about that. It's something I'm really proud of and I'm really happy exists, especially listening to all these episodes that were created and really cool. Like I'm learning a lot from these episodes. I'm, I'm actually excited to hang up this call with you and go back to listening to the plethora of really unique and diverse episodes that were created as a result of the last round of Let a Podcast Out. And you'll get to hear from one of them soon. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, the emoji for this week's episode is the letter, the one with the heart, preferably, because we mentioned thank you notes and it would be cool if you could send Erica and Claire and of a kind and myself a virtual thank you note by like, it sounds weird to ask one for myself, but to them, you can tag me to show me if you want, but let them know that you're listening all the way to the end by sending one of those emoji thank you notes onto one of their accounts. All right. Love you guys. Bye. And I'm back really quick. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, the one I'm going to be sending more frequently, maybe we'll see the link is in the show notes, sign up and you can look at the old issues to check it out. And also, if you want to get the show notes of these episodes emailed to you, so you don't have to be like I did when I was listening back to this walking and like, oh, what is that mascara that they recommended? That was so great. I want to try it. You can just get it emailed to you so you don't have to worry about that. Just an option. Okay. Love you. Bye.